The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny, Sestina, and company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Greetings, hello and welcome. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy tonight on 610 WTVN. I'm your host in studio, Tony Payne. With me are John Sestina and Craig Konstantinovich. Tonight we're going over financial myths from social media and beyond. Greetings to you guys. Good to see you. Good to how, see you too, Tony. How are you today, John? Well, I can't believe this topic. How could there be any myths on social media? Uh, there's myths, misinformation, just lies. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, there's a lot. Yeah, to take a record of all the people who are on it and put them in the funny farm. I think they're compiling that now, John. <laughs> I think they're working on that. Who? Wait, uh, hold on. You're telling me that you can't believe everything you read on the internet? Uh, well, I'm trying to trying to warn you, Craig. All I mean, right, you I'm, young I've guys. got a lot to learn tonight. Then. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. First, first, we're going to start and flash back a little bit here to what is a myth even in the first place. So, do you remember any famous myths as a kid, John, from mythology or anywhere else? Well, if you read all the books, you know, there are a lot of big guys, who books on people who were Greek myths and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I know several. Okay. the books on my shelves. Okay, okay. I mean, we boil it down and just look at the definition. It's a widely held but false belief or idea. Oh, no. You mean these guys aren't who they say they were? No, they weren't. They might have oh. had some supernatural something to it, but nothing, nothing real. All right. You do remember fables, though, John. I think you remember those, right? He was a singer, right? No, no. <laughs> All right, fine. But a fable, you know Aesop, the famous philosopher. Yes. A fable's a little different than a myth. I'm not that old, Tony. I didn't know him. Well, I, I didn't know. <laughs> Just I, because he shook been in his hand figuratively <laughs> okay. doesn't mean anything. There you go. I'm, There's your myth. I'm really getting it today. <laughs> we know then a fable is a narration intended to enforce a useful truth. So a fable is a useful truth. You know that that's a good thing we think. But a myth, that's just an outright lie or something bad or something that maybe was wrong and it's just been passed down and there might be a kernel of truth in it, but it's just been so twisted through the years it's not true anymore. So, Craig, I've been picking on John here, but are there any financial myths that you think of right away? I mean, my favorite one, and I think everyone's probably sick of, and at least in my family, hearing it from me, is that a house is an investment. It's not? It's not. Why not? As, what are as you John, <laughs> There you go. As John's <laughs> always taught us, it's all about the actual cost of ownership. So if you're going to look at any kind of investment, you never look at, hey, what did it start at versus what could I sell it for today? And you just blindly say, hey, it doesn't matter how much I put into that investment, it grew. No, no, no. You have to look at what is it that you contributed to that to actually make that investment grow. If you start to calculate that, Nine times out of ten, when you account for the hedge clippings, uh, making sure that the bushes are all taken care of, 
the actual ongoing maintenance, replacing the water heater, all that kind of stuff. When it comes down to it, the house really isn't an investment. You normally don't end out coming out ahead. You're usually about break even if you're lucky or you're underwater a bit. So are you making this all up or do you have personal experience now? You know, John, I would like to say that I'm making it all up. <laughs> personal experience right now between buying the lawnmower behind, buying the axe to chop wood, buying the furniture, all those other pieces that go into it. I'm still keeping that spreadsheet because I got to hold true to uh, to what I tell people. But right now, yep, I have less equity in the home than I have overall expenses at this point. Even in this wild market. That's Even amazing. Even in this wild market. Right, as long as it lasts. Yep. And, you know, the truth is when people say a house is an investment, that tells me they don't know what a real investment is. Mm-hmm. Because if you made a real estate investment, what is it, what is it you expect? Return. You expect a return, and also you expect someone else to pay you to use that property. So that's one of the many, many distinctions. And then as it grows, when you have to repair something, you talked about all that stuff, Craig, then you get to write that off on your income tax. Mm -hmm. Those are business expenses, right? And then when you get to sell it, maybe you get capital gain tax on any profits. Mm Mm-hmm. And until they do away with it, you could also use, what, the 1031 exchange? Bingo. So there's a few things like that. Whereas with your house, when you paint it, how much do you deduct? <sighs> Nothing. Nothing. And when you bought the lawnmower, how much did you write off? I tried to write off something. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Nothing. Good. Good. I'm glad you were kidding, Craig. I was judging here. <laughs> It's an investment, Tony. It's an investment in the Whoa. house. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We'll have that conversation later. I'll tell you about myths. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I was so, going to say segment two then, maybe. Right, exactly. <laughs> so we're we're going through it. I mean, the idea, and that's I saw this and I thought of you right away, John. I thought this is a good one to start with because a home isn't an investment. I mean, you were going through it. An investment something you expect to make a little money on, be able to use for the tax advantages, the fact that something goes up or down in value doesn't really make it an investment. Right. I mean, you could buy a baseball card or something like that and see it go up or down in value. Doesn't necessarily mean you did it as an investment. That's an important distinction. It is. Yeah. Are there are there any other myths, Greg, out there related or similar? Oh, yes. Uh, well, what do you do before you buy, Tony? Outside of living with your parents, maybe you rent. And the ongoing thought has always been, and in my family um, included, was buying is better than renting. Well, John, as you've always attested, if you could have your way of things, you would live in a, a hotel suite. That way you wouldn't have to pay for anything, wouldn't have to pay for even the toilet paper or the towel cleaning at that point. That's exactly right. But that is another big myth because when you rent, truly it's, hey, what are the utilities? <laughs> What's my month-to-month expense? But all of the maintenance, all of the upkeep, everything else, that's kicked off onto someone else for it to be their problem. You get to truly just live in the place, maintain your lifestyle. Yeah, you may buy a few things here that you have to maintain, but the actual property itself, it's not your responsibility. You even have maid service. And sometimes, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. <clears throat> so the myth buying is always better than renting isn't true. Mm-hmm. Not true. And it depends on the area. It could be up to a couple <laughs> different factors. And when we say that, too, we're factoring in a lot of things. The full cost of ownership. Craig, you've talked about the lawnmower. We're bringing up property taxes as well. And then one of the most expensive items in a home the financing of the home. Mm-hmm. You've got to include the mortgage cost, 
I mean, that's interest costs. And then also the real estate transaction fees. That might be the realtor fees of a few percent at the very beginning or on the back end too. So when you factor all these things in as well as property maintenance and other costs, now we're talking about the total cost. It's not just that sticker price that you paid for the home. And there is one real advantage to home ownership. Yes. You're shocked, right, Tony? I, never, I, I never think I know I what it that. is. And that is when you own something, you have a personal interest in it. Okay. And you're more likely to be a member of the community and contribute and all that sort of thing. Whereas if you rent, like when you rent a car, you're not as careful as your own car. That's true. Or that may be true. The one I thought you were going to say or the reason I hesitated, John, was I thought you were going to say you get to do what you want. You know, you've always taught me well, that, too. Well, you don't too. get to do that anymore. Well, to remodel a little bit or say, <laughs> hey, I want a little bit more space or maybe I want to do this out back or do something in a garden area. You have homeowner associations. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, the neighborhood. You have the police. And those wild parties you I'm not trying to do all that, John. I was going to say. We're going to have to talk on the break of what kind of ideas you've got here. And we are coming up on a break here. So when we come back, we're going to keep going through financial myths and more and really dive in here to hopefully set ourselves straight. And towards the end, we're going to talk about what are the good resources to go to? Where do I go to when I want a primary source of information? Where do I go when I want to learn more? That's also the other side to this myth-making and hopefully hoping to debunk things. So when we come back, we'll cover that and more. You're listening to Managing the Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Greetings. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. I'm your host in studio tonight, Tony Payne, with me are Craig and John. We're here. We're rolling. We're talking about myths today. If you have questions or maybe you've encountered a couple myths on your own, feel free to give our office a call at 614-326-3077. We're happy to answer questions. We'll direct you to our website to fill out a complimentary questionnaire and meet with you, go through your questions, see if we might be able to help debunk some myths or help you in your plan. So for tonight, though, we're going through talking about the myths that are out there and some of the fables, too, because behind the fables are some pretty good lessons. So, John, I've brought up the miser and the gold a few times today. Do you remember that one? No. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to use a quick second then because it's one of my favorites. Craig, do you remember it? I do not. Okay, Mike. So this is this is all going to be story time for yeah, Mr. Payne. Yeah, we're learning okay, from you, okay. Tony. Come all on, right, man. Okay, fine. All right, we'll keep going. <clears throat> well, a uh, gentleman sells all of his possessions, gets rid of everything, buys a nice piece of gold. He goes and buries the gold in the backyard. And he goes, and every day he goes out and looks at this piece of gold. He's so excited. He buries it. Goes out, does the same thing every day about the same time. Someone sees him doing this, and they take the piece of gold. He goes back the next day, sees that it's gone. He starts crying. His neighbor comes over and says, why are you crying? Go get a rock and replace it and look at that. You, you weren't doing anything with the gold anyway. <laughs> and, and when you think about it that way, I mean, money is only as good as what you do with it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So the idea of sitting on things and not necessarily utilizing them the right way or to their fullest, that's important too. 
It is. It is. That's why we talk about enough. So why are you accumulating this gold or whatever? Because what what do you have to have that's enough to accomplish your goal, whatever that is? I, I knew it would tie in here. That, ah, that's why I was see? thinking of it, Look John. At that. I did get the train. There you go. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> well, when we go back to some of the myths then, then we're trying to debunk this stuff because there are a lot of them out there. Is there another one that you think of, Craig? Yeah, I mean, one of the other ones that, that often comes up is, okay, how do I increase my credit score? What's the best way to do it? It's probably just carry a balance on it. Not necessarily the case. Really, when you look at it, one of the best ways to go about improving your credit score <laughs> is keeping your credit utilization down. So credit utilization, again, is if you've got, let's say, a $10,000 limit, the recommendation is always to keep that about 30% or less of that 10000 So on one single card, you should not have more than $3,000 spent on that particular card. So if you can continue to keep that down, pay your bill on time, pay it in full, that's going to help boost your credit score, give you the best possibility of getting the highest score possible. Excellent. So the myth of carry a credit balance to increase your score isn't true either. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea is if you pay it off every month and you don't carry the balance, you're probably going to see your score go up, and you might see your available credit go up because that lender might try to entice you a little more. Uh, this is good stuff, I hope. John, as we go through, we were talking about another one, that you only have one credit score. Do you think that's true? Well, let's see. There's Transamerica. There's which which are yeah all? yeah TransUnion, Trans Experian, Union, Equifax. Experian. How many is that? And, and, then, three. and then your Vantage yeah. score, your insurance score. <clears throat> there, yeah, there's a, quite a mix. And you've got all these places that report to you a credit or your credit now. The brokerage houses, the yep. banks, yes, whatever. So They're all putting this out there. You have to know which credit company they're using. Right. And the other part, and you just kind of said it there too they don't talk to each other all the time. They mm -hmm. usually don't talk to each other. So you might have one where you opened a new card and they reported it to that agency, and it might not be on all three, and then you're going to end up with three different scores. Or if you have something negative, the same might be true. Or you've had something negative, you got it cleaned up, two of them got it right, one didn't. You've got to follow up with all of these different sources to see that you're getting the best for you. Again, they're just treating you like a number, unfortunately. You are just a number to them. But the idea is you've got to monitor it, and there are different resources out there. Well, there's never any mistakes in that area, are there? Oh, there's always <laughs> there's always mistakes in that area, it feels like. You may have to get very busy about cleaning up your credit score. I mean, that's, yeah. that can be a difficult chore. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you're in a field or in, you're in a position where it matters, too, to your income, I mean, what a double whammy if you had some financial event that hurt you, and then you might be putting your position at risk or a security clearance, something like that. That's the kind of thing where you want to make sure that you're managing your finances. Right. It even affects your insurance premiums. And when you go to get a mortgage, of course, it affects that or get a car. All those things are affected. Yeah. And especially right now with how frequently people have been refinancing because of the low rates, everything else that's going on. You know, again, you can always contact the credit bureaus, and once per year, you can get your credit report free from each one of the bureaus. So you may want to stagger it and say, hey, I'm going to do TransUnion in February of every single year, Equifax in March, something like that to kind of break it up, give yourself a break, because it's certainly not light reading by any means, but... 
just make sure that everything is passing that smell test. And if there isn't something, make them aware of it. Or if there is something missing, rather, or something that's incorrect, make them aware of it, have it corrected, so that way your score is definitely in the right spot. These are all good things here. Great advice. Well, as we're continuing through here, we're just going to keep going. I mean, there's another one out there that I've found a few times and heard from a few people, and that's that student loan consolidation will lower your interest rate. That's not true. Mm-mm. Now, I see you nodding your head no, Craig. Why is that? It all depends on what the going rate is for those particular loans. Ah, well, and you're right. It's the going rate, but we want to make sure we're even using the right terms. There's consolidation. Then there's the refinancing. And what you're saying, too, with the rates, I mean, we can consolidate them, just make it all one easy payment maybe. Mm-hmm. That won't necessarily change the rate. In some cases, it actually rounds it up an eighth of a point. So the idea is if you can refinance, that's even better. So refinances change the rate. Consolidation, well, that may just be putting them all together and paying a little bit more. So, again, we're going through these myths here today. This is important stuff. Anything else there, Craig, when you think about student loans? No, I mean, the. I guess, yes. Um, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is oftentimes people are also unaware of what goodies may still be available to them given the kind of loans that they have. So just because you have student loans doesn't mean that, hey, if I've got a dozen student loans, I should consolidate them or refinance them. No, understand what it is that you're going to be doing. You know, right now, the federal government does allow for public employees to have some of their loans forgiven. If that's the route you're going to go, it doesn't make sense to refinance them and lose that capability to refinance to a private loan. So make sure you understand what the pros and cons are to the kinds of loans that you've secured and make sure you evaluate, hey, where do I see myself to make sure you're getting the best ideas possible. Excellent work, sir. Excellent advice. John, I see you nodding along here. Anything else you would add? No, I just agreeing with Craig. And first thing, you shouldn't be having $100,000 worth of loans. Uh, maybe you have to work a year, go to school a year, work a year, go to school a year. So you can cut that down or start out at a junior college and don't go to school. When I taught at OSU, I was shocked to find some of my students were fifth-year seniors. Now, I don't know what that is. When I went to school, you had to finish in four years. You know what this is, guys? Oh, yeah. There, yeah. You heard of it. Oh, yeah. There, there's some issues going about here. I mean, what you're <laughs> saying, I mean, there's seventh year seniors now, John. You oh, were my ta- Lord. You're mm-hmm. talking about fifth. I'm, I'm glad up, I retired from that. We've heard some sevens, but we're coming mm-hmm. up on the break here and we're going to dive into continuing more myths, how to debunk them, some of the ones that are going to affect you the most, dive into some that you might have found online too. So when we come back, you're going to hear that and more. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610. WTVN. Greetings. Hello and welcome back. We're having fun today. We're going through myths, fables, other stories, and just having fun talking about some of the things you might have heard that just aren't true. And there's a lot of them out there when it comes to your finances. And there's nothing more costly than a mistake in your plan. And if you can learn from someone else's, how great is that? And that's, in theory, what we do, too, every day. We're Mm -hmm. always learning. We're learning new things from everyone out there and then trying to apply it in the best way. So when we can do that for ourselves, how empowering. What a great thing. 
So we were going through, and we're shifting gears to some of the life insurance myths that are out there. So there are some stories that people may tell, or you might tell yourself sometimes. And one of those that's a myth in life insurance is that only the breadwinner in a household needs life insurance. So, John, I know you've taught us long ago that that may not always be true, and usually it's not true. Um, why isn't it? Well, life insurance is is surely a complicated topic. And so the first thing you have to do is be working with someone who is looking at your overall life and your needs and your risks, your life risks, and then recognize that if something happens to you, will that impair your family's financial life? So I always wanted Bobby to be able to live the life we leave now, live now if I'm gone. She'll celebrate, and then she'll have the money to live the life, you know? Right. It'll be fun. So I've always thought it that way. So how do you calculate that? You don't use these standards. You know, you ought to buy enough life insurance to replace your salary. Those don't do any good because they're kind of myths. Yeah, they're generalists. They're, they're too, too general. generalists. So you need to have someone who goes into detail and looks at it. And then in today's world, because of Craig, there are so many new products <laughs> that yep. truly complicated your life. You're giving me way too much credit, I'm John. I'm telling you, Craig. Way too much look, credit. Tell me about some of these wild policies out I there. I mean, you know, you have some of your variable universal life policies. Oh, my Lord. See there? Oh, yeah. See? Fun, <laughs> fancy words. Uh, but basically, that's a type of whole life insurance where <clears throat> it's variable based off of how the underlying policy performs. So you get to pick investments. And then it's universal, meaning you can decide how much you want to contribute to it. So you have a bare bones minimum amount that you could save towards it, and then additional dollars that you could go to from there. But with all these different kinds of products and everything else that's out there, you're right, John, it can get very confusing, but it all boils down to, well, what is it do you that you need and why do you need it? You mean it, what's enough? Exactly. So one of the big things that we focus on is, you know, Tony, you had asked, only the breadwinner, well, just think about it. If the breadwinner is, let's say, a surgeon, a surgeon can't say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I can't finish this operation. I've got to take care of my kids. Let me come back to this in about five hours. They should still be good. Right. Doesn't doesn't really right. work like that. So it's those kind of things where there may be new forms of assistance, new forms of help, other duties that need to be fulfilled to keep the family afloat. And so, yes, the breadwinner's income may be an important piece, but it's not the end-all, be-all. It's just a factor in this. Right. I mean, you imagine it's a terrible thing to even think about, but if you're someone who has a spouse and you have children or young children and that person goes down, the person who's taking care of the family, taking care of the children, it may not have a direct impact on income, but everything you said, Craig, but to put stories and words to it and paint that sad picture I mean, think about going for the weekend and the travel team, whether it's baseball or lacrosse or soccer, and you want to go travel and be there and maybe take the girls out, and then you're going to miss work. Or you're going to miss those meetings, and you want to be there. And it's so important that you're there for those big events, but at the same time, you know you're a critical piece at work. Whatever it is you're doing or in your business, even better, I mean, that's the kind of thing where if you can plan ahead and have these pieces to the puzzle there, that hopefully never use. They collect a lot of dust. You pay for peace of mind. You're not using insurance as some investment thing. You're just paying for it to have insurance for the time period you need it. That's a big deal. 
That's a big thing. And and again, I would just see it and I, I take it real personal here because the last thing you're going to want to do if you're in that scenario is have to worry about going to work, yep. being that single parent. I mean, it's like a terrible Disney movie. You know, it's that parent who just has to go to work and they keep focusing on work and you're just suffering. You don't want to have that. Yeah, don't pitch that to Disney, Tony. That yeah, would no, not, no, be, no, that exactly. not be a good exactly. story. I better remove their, their name from this. Um, we'll, we'll continue on, but that's a myth. Yeah. Only well, breadwinners need insurance. Remember that the, the spouse or whomever it is you lose performs so many functions, as you're talking about, Tony. And when that person goes away, and I first learned this lesson from a doctor when we were talking about this. We said, oh, your wife, we don't need any insurance. He said, what are you talking about? He'd explain, you know, if she passes, I'm going to cut back my hours. And so he might be making half a million dollars a year, but all of a sudden if she goes, he might only make 400 a year, 300 a year, because he's going to take time to be with those children until they reach an age that he thinks is appropriate. He doesn't have to be hands-on. It's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's something to take personal. And, again, every family's a little different. So you have to think about your scenario and sit down like you said, and hopefully that person you're sitting down with is unbiased mm-hmm. because when you have someone who is compensated on the amount of insurance or the type of insurance you buy, it's just inherent. There's a conflict of interest. There, We know there are good people that do this and people who want to look out for your best interest who are real professionals, but at the same time, they feed their family when they are able to sell insurance. So you really want to be careful when you're meeting with someone that they are unbiased. Yeah, and you want to work with a professional. So a CLU, Chartered Life Underwriter, is someone you want to work just as if you are doing financial planning. You want a CFP, an attorney, et cetera. So be aware of those codes. And speak frankly with the agent. You know, what's this going to cost me? No, I mean, what's the what's the commission? Tell mm-hmm. Ask them in dollars. Well, the percent, no, percentages don't help. So we're in a world where you have to be real. You have to ask the hard questions. I know that's difficult in our culture today. You don't want to upset anybody, but you need to ask the hard questions. Right. And and another great point, and I've seen it in practice too, is a lot of people will want to meet you in person, have conversations in person, present a lot of things, maybe over the kitchen table, maybe over coffee, maybe after church. That's wonderful. It's nice to have a personal conversation but you're going to want to follow up either in a professional setting or have it in writing. What is it that we talked about? What is it that you're recommending? Because so much of this insurance stuff we're sold, we don't really buy it. And then we wonder years later, why did we buy that again? So to make sure as we go into this stuff, we're doing it deliberately. It's really important. It would be fun just to ask the listeners to go find their policies. It's See like an Easter know, egg hunt. Yeah, they don't know where they are often, so <laughs> that's a good deal, you, so you know what you have. Excellent. And another myth here, and we're just going to keep going on, the life insurance ones. Just because your employer provides life insurance doesn't mean you're covered. Craig, why is that, why is that a myth? Well, they may offer coverage. You may have some coverage, but, John, I think the underlying theme of the day is, is it enough? So the big question here is, yeah, your employer may give you a nice $50,000 life insurance policy. And they may say, hey, here's these group rates so you can lock in maybe another half million dollars. So you'll have $550,000 of coverage at that point. That sounds pretty sweet. Well, if you start factoring in the fact that you want to help out kids' education expenses, future wedding goals, make sure that your spouse 
is taken care of. Half a million doesn't go very far when you start adding those things up and as time goes along. So something else to keep in mind as you're going through this. Right. And as we're coming up on a break here, we're going to keep going on this and more. But I mean, what you're talking about, Craig, is so true, because just because the employer provides it doesn't mean it matches up with your need. So you need to be deliberate. And the other side of it, you don't always want to rely on that employer being there. You want you might want to bounce around yourself. So we'll continue on this and more when we come back. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Greetings. Hello and welcome back. It's Tony Payne. We're talking money. We're managing to be wealthy, having fun, going through some of the myths that are out there. And there's a lot. So we're going through the life insurance myths now. If you have other questions that we haven't talked about, feel free to visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com. Click our Take Action page. Feel free to take action there in whichever way you feel comfortable. So coming back to it here, guys, there was another life insurance myth that we wanted to talk about. Craig, you can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. well, just real quick to last up or to wrap up the last one here. So your employer provides coverage, so you're good. Well, we had talked about you need to determine what's sufficient, what goals are you trying to fund with that, everything else. But the other piece, John, you made a good point in the break. The other myth is, hey, if I've got it offered by my employer, every employer is going to offer it. That's not always the case. Some employers do offer it, some don't. So if you do rely just on employer provided coverage, you could go from having millions of dollars of coverage all of a sudden to having nothing yeah there may be some options for you to take that with you when you go everything else but if you want to truly maintain control you may want to undervalue what your employer is offering you and truly value a personal policy and finding the right personal policy for you makes a lot of sense i mean it's the idea you don't want to be captive to your employer Mm -hmm. if you could buy disability insurance life insurance health insurance yourself you're not relying upon your employer for those things. That's important. Mm-hmm. When we think about getting into the weeds there, there are requirements on how many hours do you work? Do you go part-time? Are you still eligible for that? What happens if you retire before 65? There's a lot of uncertainty that may come with relying on an employer, and we know our society's built around that. We know it. Mm-hmm. But the idea is for you to be deliberate and think about those things as part of your life. So yep. another one of those myths out there, Craig, we talked about it. You're young, you're single, you're healthy. Do yes. you need... You're married, well, I thought. Well, I am. I, I was, I, I'm sorry. I was he wasn't speaking. describing me. I was, oh, yes, Levy, yes. if you're out there, I love you. <laughs> good good work, Craig. Good work. Yeah, Let's clear that up. Awake, yeah. Know, yeah, no. spirit, you know. All right. So if, if someone, not Craig, is young, single, and healthy, they don't need life insurance. Why is that a myth, John? Why is that a myth? Yeah, why is that a myth? Is it a myth in your opinion? Well, it all depends Ah, on our favorite answer. (laughs) And it all depends on what your circumstances are. If you are a single person, graduate from uh, some university, and you have $100,000 of debt, and no wife and no children and no parents signed on your loans, and you die, what is the government going to do? Are they going to sue you? Well, probably not. You're dead, right? 
Right. So there's th that would be a case where you don't need any life insurance, in my opinion. So if beyond that, though, there's probably some reason to have it. Maybe you want to provide for your dog. And that's not so silly. What's her name? Hems Hemsley? Yeah, the hotel Leona. queen. Remember, yeah. she gave a fortune to her dogs to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Or there might be a, another family member, an uncle, aunt, somebody like that, that you want to provide for. So once again, what's enough? What are your goals? Everything, everything comes from that posture. Where are you going? And so from that point of view, you make better decisions. You don't just make a decision when somebody calls you up, says, let's get together. I want to talk to you about life insurance. Right. No. You can't do that. Right. And you, and you said one of the key things there, John, is where are you going? Because part of this, too, and the, and this is where the myth part comes in. There, It depends is always a good answer. And it's true. It's not just a good answer. It's true. But the idea is if you're someone who is on that trajectory where you think you're going to have a bigger house, a bigger mortgage, more children, more debt, and you're going to continue growing, and it's almost like a bell curve, hmm. and you're working your way up that bell curve, and perhaps you're not all the way there yet on your savings or what you've put aside, but you know in many ways what your life looks like, and you've built that with your spouse or your maybe potential spouse, and you're talking about things. If you have some family history of disease or you have something that you feel like, you know, I wish that doesn't happen to me, you might want to decide to buy some life insurance proactively because you're going to grow into it. Again, everything you said there too, John, about that person who may not have anyone dependent upon them and they don't have that need, well, you may not need life insurance. Right. But in that other scenario too, it might be <clears throat> worthy to say, okay, I'm right at this peak here. I'm in great health. Maybe I'm in my early 30s. Maybe there is something to having a bit more insurance than what the numbers say because that's the trajectory you're on. And that gives you a lot of peace of mind. I know, Craig, you and I talked about it. Mm -hmm. There are 30-year term policies out there. So if you're 35 and you buy a 30-year term policy, you have bought 30 years of coverage, basically what most people think of their working life. I mean, there is some peace of mind to doing that. It's, again, it's not for everyone. It really depends on your situation. But to talk it out that way, you've bought yourself 30 years of potential savings. It's pretty important. Exactly. And also this leads to your children because when they're born, if they have any difficulties, any health challenges, uh, that would be a reason to buy life insurance. Otherwise, you're going to be hustled to buy life insurance on your kids once they're born. And if there's no reason and what you know what's enough to make sure they're okay so you want to buy enough in insurance so that when they're 55 years old and perhaps have a family of their own they can have a half million dollars of life insurance right something of consequence yes because that's the trade-off like you were saying too you might get them something but is it really going to be enough or right something you can't of go consequence? buy a thousand dollar gerber policy Right, right. Ooh, not to pick on anyone. Um, I wouldn't pick on anyone. <laughs> yep, good job, John. I knew you wouldn't. Well, shifting gears here a little as we wrap up today, we're going to talk to you about some of the ways to spot the fake financial news that's out there. I mean, John, we've talked about it. There are a lot of sources of misinformation. And one of the things that we'd say to look out for, proceed with caution when predictions are made. And there's a lot behind that where when you hear a very definite projection, what caused that? What are you basing that upon? Are there any other things I need to know that back that up? Or any things that 
twist that in, in case of scenario. Mm -hmm. Because, John, I, I know I just keep picking on you here, but, <laughs> I mean, when, when you've talked about some of the books from the silver predictors out there. Oh, my word. Where they talked about silver will be this, silver will be that, and every decade there is a different cover on basically the same book. I mean, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, my favorite is the one who predicted the economic end of the world, and he wrote a book. Yeah. And it was a bestseller for a time, and then that year came and went, and nothing happened. So four years later, he wrote another book <laughs> saying the same thing, <laughs> and nothing happened then again. And believe it or not, he wrote a third book, and people were buying this nonsense. <laughs> so you, you have to, you know, investing, you cannot do it on a reactionary basis. And that's what's happening with people about a lot of things. You know, gold is, is one of those, and gems, perhaps. And uh, there are a lot of interesting, fanciful things where you can put your money and really lose it. Right. When you hit on one of the other myths in there, too, though, the idea of consider the source. I mean, if someone's already wrote two books about something that hasn't happened yet, and they're coming at you with a third, is that something you really want to value? Well, it takes common sense. And that's why I say it's so rare. So few people have it. We've got a few nickels, John. Is that what you meant? A few shekels. Yep. Um, well, well, we'll continue on here. I know we're coming up on another break. Or we're coming up on the end today. But hopefully this has been helpful going through some of these myths that are out there. Because when we talk about myths, there's also empowering yourself with knowledge. And if you're questioning what you're reading and you go to another source, that's so powerful. You're going to learn through that process. So to not just take whatever source it is at face value and to do some of your own research, that's how you're going to learn more. And that's what we want to do through financial planning is empower you to reach your goals. Let you get to where you want to go the best way possible. And to do that, it takes a little bit of education. It takes a little bit of effort and research. So with that, we'll leave you tonight. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTBN.